Welcome to The Localist Podcast, a podcast showcasing the local heroes of Pakistan. People creating positive change and driving the country towards a better future. I'm Mo. I'm Rabia. And, and we, we are, are The Localists. Localists. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Localist Podcast. I'm Mo. And I'm Rabia. Today on the show, we've got On Ali. On is a member of the British Association of Counseling and Psychotherapy, as well as the North American Association of Drug and Alcohol Counselors. He was one of the first therapists to become an internationally certified addiction professional, a certification which is recognized by the United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime. And he has a variety of other experience as well that will that we love to talk to him about, um, as well as rolling some jujitsu. On, welcome to the show, man. Thank you for having me, guys. It's a real honor to be here. So, um, wh- where do you want to start? Um, on do you you want to uh, do you want to tell us um, a bit about your uh, your story? Like, how did you get into? How, how did you decide you wanted to become a therapist? And and I've also noticed there's there's a kind of a theme to some of your at least your certifications and stuff. Um, there it seems to be based a lot of it seems to be based around trauma and addiction. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's where I specialize in, and and this is definitely like a. So, for example, one of my um, therapists, first ever therapist that trained me was Lynn from CPPD trainings, you know, and she told me that um, most of the therapists are like wounded healers, you know. So, and I never really got that because at that time I wasn't really aware of my own wounds and my own past in the way that this journey has sort of like helped me become aware of. So I would definitely like to sort of like just uh, give you a little bit about my path. <coughs> so I um, so again so I was I was just um, diagnosed with dyslexia when I was um, in my O levels. I had a huge history of bullying. I was over uh, I was overeating. Like for example, when I was fourteen, uh, I had a forty-one waistline. You know, so and those were definitely byproducts of shame, uh, feeling of um inferiority all of those things which i had got, gotten you know early early when i was growing up mm-hmm. you know however, yeah however, you know however i still came from a very loving and uh, you know like a very overtly loving household you know this was something they really cared about me but again my parents did not know what was happening for me so when i would get bullied in school again it was easy to bully me because i my name is on ali Right, and one thing I've noticed is that when you're young, okay, and when you're like four, five, six years old, class one, two, three, like the first thing that comes up to your mind when you hear the name on is on off, okay, and and that would usually set the tone for most of my relationships, especially in school. You know, bullying would start from there, and then it would go up and. I would. I was very confused about why my parents had named me on Ali, and I was like, "No, man, I couldn't get what the meaning was." And yeah, so for example, so that had a huge impact on me growing up, and it was, it was quite traumatic, basically, you know. And what I learned was I became really good with disassociation, how to tune out. So I would watch eight hours of television and 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 go through all of those things. You know, but as I sort of like, and I I got really good at it. So when I went to university, a lot of sort of like other forms of disassociations, parties, just generally, all of those things started to come into my life as well. You know, and and there came a point uh, in my life when I had to decide 
when I couldn't sort of like disassociate anymore, you know, and I couldn't sort of like um, um, couldn't stop feeling the feelings that I was trying to numb out, and I and I had to feel them, you know, and that moment was a very tough moment in my life, and that this is so I, uh, this was before I had sort of like made a decision to even take up psychology, you know, I was I was doing a business degree and I was. Um, I was in, on track to go into my family business and those were the things I had in mind. I had no other purpose. I just wanted to sort of like, you know, I just wanted to, at that moment in my life, I just did not know what was happening for me. But one thing I knew for sure, that there was something definitely wrong. You know, and my and my victim mindset definitely added to all the other narrations. Oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not, I'm not smart enough. I'm not athletic enough. X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z. That really diminished my confidence. So on, and, yeah, go for it. Um, so I want to know. So disassociation, right? This yeah. is the first the first time I learned about it was yeah. through your video. That there's a bunch of them that you've been doing, and thank you so much with respect to this pandemic to mm-hmm. COVID. And and honestly, it was very useful to hear those because it almost felt like we needed to hear that you know we're sitting in here nobody understands what's really going on and when when you had those videos i i just felt i was it was just amazing and i learned i only thought that the human response was either fight or flight did not know about this association so if you would like explain a little bit more um the three that was my favorite one you know disassociation because or freeze you know, so what would happen is that when I was young or when usually when a lot of kids who are really going through their teens or their um, university life. So there's a certain social norm that you could sort of like fight or flight. And there's a limitation to that. You know, there's a, there, you can't fight your family. You can't flight from your family or you can't flight from certain situations. So the only thing that you can do is disassociate. And disassociation is a form of freeze. You know, according to, and I talked about that in the video, the polyvagal theory, and it's an amazing theory that uh, uh, Stephen Porges and uh, Peter Levine, these guys are like, you know, the pioneers of trauma therapy. You know, and these guys came up with this. And what they said was that when, so when you don't have that option, you freeze. Okay. And for that freeze is basically a sense of shutdown that takes place, a helplessness, powerlessness, feeling of trapped, feeling of depression comes into those states. You know, when you can't move, a lot of shame lives in that state. Because, and what you, what I wanted to do, or what usually what people do, is that they try to, especially nowadays, they would um, go into Netflix, go into drugs, oh. go, into, go into other things as well. Anything that can take you away from that state of feeling, you know, of helplessness. Because it's a very, um, it's it, our body has these natural mechanisms, but we were never meant to stay there in those things forever. You know, in olden times, when a threat would come, a threat would pass, and our body would notice. Because of the media, because of the sort of like the, aware, um, the family um, or the social sort of like pressures that are now on, the threat is constant. And our survival mode is constantly active. So either we will go into a flight mode, we will go into a fight mode, or we will go into a freeze mode. And we'll be fluctuating between these modes. Right. 
So then, so going back to you then, so there was disassociation and you said you had a moment where you were like, I can't do, I cannot be freezing anymore. Yeah. And that's a very painful moment to have because I was procrastinating on my university work. I was procrastinating on my responsibilities, making decisions. I was making bad choices in my life. My choices were motivated by the fact that what can make me uh, stay in this state or, for example, keep me in that disassociation state. And mind you, at that time, I did not have any of this language or I did not even any of this awareness i was completely going on an unconscious route i knew it was painful i knew this was something that was working for me and i had to stay there yeah what happens is that when you're making when i'm making or when anyone is making decisions from this fight flight or freeze mode they're making decisions just out of survival okay it's like i just want to get through my next day that's it okay the energy of joy or happiness or mindfulness or compassion or love they don't come in those states you know so when i I yeah and when i realized that i want a connection you know or i want to actually feel genuine joy then i was like okay let's pause you know let's figure this out let's and and it's a very sort of like uh it's a very tough place to be in when you realize that what you have been doing um, has been destructive and you haven't realized it because of the denials that have been there, mm. you know, it really sort of like is a huge realization to have. And there's a lot of grief that's first welcomed, you know, and has to be welcomed. So um, I, I've been I've been soaking this all in. And, you know, I actually I remember watching that video. I think I watched it last week or the week before. Um, and uh, when you were talking about fight, flight, or freeze, and uh, th- th- some gears started um, whirring in my head, they started moving, and I was like, uh, "Man, this disassociate thing. This sounds very, very familiar." And um, everything, everything you just, everything you just said, that's it. it um, that hit home, man. Like I, I, I understand that feeling. I feel like I've. I feel like I've always had that. I feel like I still have it. I feel like, and, and you know, it's the first time I'm kind of really hearing about it in, in on that level, so to speak. Yeah, and so, uh, have it. it is a very yeah. human process, you know. You are, like, for example, we have two million years of experience on how to be really good with fight, flight, and freeze. You know, mm-hmm. so we don't need to even be worried about whether our body is going to protect us or are we going to survive or not. We're going to survive. We're going to use one of these three mechanisms. It's just that we've got to learn how to shut them off sometimes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, that, yeah, that's where grounding comes in. So, so how does, how does, uh, how does grounding work? All right. So for example, okay, imagine this. Yeah. So for example, you, you woke, you wake up to all of this information. You're like, damn, my eight hours of Netflix that I've been doing, that's really sort of like trying to avoid my feeling of shame or inferiority or anything about a particular situation or my responsibility about work or anything along those lines, you know, and you're like, okay, I got to change. I got to make this decision. I got to change that awareness itself shifts you out of that survival mode. Okay. Because you're like, oh my God, I'm not going to sort of like do what I'm doing. I'm going to do something else. Okay. So what that means is that first you're going to grounding is you're going to sort of like take a deep breath. Oh, and you're going to sort of like, 
see what is happening inside of you. Because all of this is usually happening inside of us. Okay? And we're going to feel, recognize what are the feelings that are going to come up. So, for, for example, if it's a situation about work and there's a feeling of overwhelm that's taking place, you start realizing that in your body and be like, damn, that's an uncomfortable feeling to be with. And you sort of like breathe and you allow yourself and one of the things like, and that act itself of creating space for the feeling is grounding. Ah, okay. okay. The first uh, sort of like one of my teachers, they say, you take a snapshot of that. Okay, you take a photo. Okay, overwhelm means that my heart is breathing really fast and, uh, you know, my heart is beating really fast and my, my breaths are really sort of like stiff and my neck is hurting. That's what my overwhelm feels like. Okay, and then you go and you do some grounding exercises, which could be deep breathing, you know, and there's some really amazing grounding exercises, yoga, mindfulness, meditation, running, you name it. Anything that can de-stress you, uh, but has to be physical though. Okay, it has to be a physical body-based practice. So swimming is a really good one as well. Uh, Jiu-Jitsu, one of my favorites for sure. You know, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Th- those things, are th- that's a really good practice. And that, what that does is, is that it allows your body to really uh, calm down. It regulates your breathing. It releases endorphins. It really regulates the feeling that you're coming in. And what you do then is you take a snapshot of that also. And you compare the difference. All right, so when I was in overwhelm, my breathing was heavy, my neck was stiff, my shoulders were sort of like tight. But now my neck is relaxed, my breathing is regulated. Okay, now I can approach that particular subject from a grounded state. Okay, so now what do I need to think about? Okay, how can I make a plan about this? Uh, Coaching will come in, NLP will come in. You know, all of these techniques will now come in to help you really approach. What's NLP? NLP is amazing. All right. NLP is neuro linguistic programming. Okay. Ah, okay. Yeah. It is, it is how you language your, how your brain languages certain situations. Okay. Your awareness about how you language something and your ability to change that language allows you to change the impact that, uh, has on your body and it's really wonderful so for example just so being in that grounded state you'll be able to realize i'm not really overwhelmed about that situation the other word that i can use for that is confused or i am i am worried or i am sort of like um, um, intimidated you know and what that does is it really changes your connection or the meaning that you put into that particular subject so if it's overwhelmed or confused about work, you'll be like, okay, let me ask someone for help. You know, or for example, so it really helps you move forward. NLP, if the people sort of like, you know, don't know about it, I would definitely highly recommend you guys check out NLP and do an NLP course. You know, I'm currently doing the master's practitioner. And I think that that's along with the therapy training that I've had, this is definitely one of the main ones for sure. And the future for sure as well. So um, we, we kind of we kind of hijacked you there um, with our own feelings, but, uh, but that's okay because a lot of yeah. people right now are feeling this during this yeah. COVID time, right? That's why um, I wanted to just sort of talk about it because you know people don't people don't know these things that this is what's happening to us internally, and I think like you know going I don't know what your experience was like, but maybe 
you know, you were, you thought, okay, you yourself thought, oh, I'm, I'm procrastinating. But like, what about people? We live in such a, in a society where you're judged so much for not being an overperformer. So like, how do people react to that? Do they say, oh, this person, he to lazy hai, he to kuch kari nahi sakta, he to in, and then he draw karte hain ke, oh, he to incompetent hai. You know, these are hard hitting things as well that come. You're already struggling mentally, right? You're already in the struggle like situation, and then. You have to hear more of those sort of like things that sort of it's too much. Like for example, when it comes to culture, I definitely have a agenda. You know, one of the, <laughs> one of go the on. Why, yeah, one of the reasons why I started the center is to counter culture. Yeah. All right, because for example, people have this uh, opinion about addiction and trauma, and they have this opinion about the work that is needed to deal with addiction and trauma. Is oh my god. unimaginable cannot even touch it cannot even look at it cannot even see it you know and i'm like no that's not true okay nowadays the techniques which are available the work which is available the the tools which are available you can really work on small t's big t's so small traumas big traumas in a really quick and effective way and sometimes you don't and i i firmly believe this future of trauma is non verbal okay You don't even have to talk about it. I don't even need to know what your trauma is. But by the end of the few sessions, we can get this work done. Okay, and that is the future of the work, and that is what my center is really driving towards. And and when it comes to culture, right? So just yeah. just to, sorry, quick interrupt. What's your what's your center called? Just so everyone knows what we're talking about here. My center is Trauma Release and Wellness Center. Okay. Okay. I start, yeah. Yeah. I started the center at the start of the year, and I've been eight years into my journey. All right, and 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 my and the biggest problem in my addiction work, in my trauma work, in my therapy work, when it comes to dealing with families, culture is the biggest sort of like impact that sort of like plays a role in how people uh, respond to their homes, respond to their children, respond to their because it's about survival again. Okay, safety in numbers was the name of the game from the start of the show. Okay, uh. culture defines that. Okay, so for example, culture defines what is the norm about something, and the more people do that, the more they find safety in that. Okay, so for example, if my family validated, um, if my family validated uh, grades as as part of their culture, it became really important for me to sort of like conform to that because they felt safe about it. They felt that okay, if our child is getting good grades, his future will be better. No matter how much difficulty it's going to bring him into right now, but he is going to be safe. That's a very strong motivation to have. Yeah, and, and that's what that's the thing with culture. It's it's being it's really sort of like really being used in a very um, toxic manner nowadays. That word safety is being found in really unhealthy places. Yeah. yeah and so so with that um you know i want to know more about our culture because you see this is why we see you as a local hero because you are bringing so firstly on i mean you're very very qualified and i was amazed um you know to see that 
you know, there's there's also a, the little aspect I've seen of people that they boast a lot about their qualifications. I've never gotten that from you, nor do you walk around with that air that I I do this and I know that. Like, it's amazing. You're so just, you know, chill about it. And it was just a complete shocker where, you know, when I learned so much about you and, I, and that, you know, we have this sort of local hero sitting right here. He was right there in my BJJ class all the time. And, you know, it's it's crazy to see that. And and I know I just went a little bit um, in a circle, but what I wanted to come back to is culture. What are the few things that you have identified in the Pakistani culture, other than getting good grades, that you find very toxic or have are normal cultural things, but people have made them toxic? You, you're touching on my really sore topic, you know, because this is something that I, I have really sort of like thought about a lot and have really come across a lot. Okay, so... If there's two things that I would definitely want to highlight is one is collective codependency. Yeah, collective codependency oh, no. is if, if, if there was a message that you could sort of like highlight in your... Okay, our culture comes from the subcontinent where we saw Saas Bahu. Have you guys seen Saas Bahu TV? Have you seen guys seen... Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Know, it was really uh, popular. Like, you know, 15, it was the rage, Yeah, yeah. I have no idea what you guys are talking about. <laughs> All right, which is coming from the subcontinent, Kahani Ghar Ghar Ki or Saas Bahu, okay? And, you know, archetypes, yeah. right? So for the archetype of a woman or, uh, for example, the ideal household is that the woman or just the those people who self-sacrifice are martyrs. And this is really sort of like common in the subcontinent culture, you know, in the movies as well. The martyr who really sort of like, you know, gave away his life or really had to go through all of the hardships just to, so that the person who, who was he was in a relationship with could shine. That, that, collective, oh that, that collective codependency is what nurtures addiction. Okay? Collective codependency nurtures addiction. And because it's collective, it is not even seen as wrong. Okay? So, for example, if I... so. For example, when I go to families and, and even my relatives, okay, so I would go and I would see, okay, okay, they're coming from a place of codependency. And I would say, okay, dude, I think, don't you think you're, she, like, even for example, my relatives, they would be really tired, exhausted, doing all the work that sort of like they do. I'm like, wouldn't it be okay if you take a break? You know, or if I don't, if I don't take care of my kids or if I don't take care of my family, if I don't take care of my work, who's going to do it? Okay, and what that does is it limit it, it makes the value of self-care a lot less. Because the value of that you get from seeing the other person succeed or seeing especially in family is a lot more. So you're vicariously living, and that's what we've done in as a culture, that we started vicariously living through our kids. You know, we vicariously live through our kids, we vicariously live through our family members. And if they succeed, oh, I felt like I've succeeded and I've contributed, you know, and that's, that's, that, that I'm telling you that breeds addiction because no one can live up to the expectations that are set by the family and that pressure, because you can't fight it, you can't flight it, you go into again that disassociation and free state and one of the best things that helps you stay in that free state is addiction. And what kind of addiction is this that we're talking about? Is it watching TV? Is it actual drugs? Drugs, actual drugs are the best ones. Nowadays, the culture of sort of like, we're in a culture of disassociation as well. 
you know the alcohol is accepted okay and then not everyone that drinks or smokes weed becomes an addict okay for example there are three requirements that come in okay so if you have um genetics so if you come from a family that has addiction chemical or non chemical all right then your psychology that is if you had trauma in your life so trauma could be small pieces or big pieces and then if your social engagement the people you hang out with if drugs are available in those dynamics then if all three of these things combine then the chances of you becoming an addict is way high and it's it's really common culturally here psychology wise our, our, our culture is very codependent so our disassociation is very high and genetic wise do you know for example one in four people almost have that ad- addictive sort of like addiction genetics it is wow. insane it's insane how common it is become specifically in pakistan you know and the worst thing is that it is alright for you to have a drink or to be a sort of like you know to have so to have a drink but it's not alright for you to say that you're in recovery it's not alright for you to say okay okay i had a problem i accepted it i'm not drinking anymore because then you're again out of the culture you're out of that safety net of people who are drinking you know so it, it is it's it's insane the the way the culture has shaped and the thing with culture is that if in order to create a counter culture you need to sort of like have really healthy boundaries you know so for example when you were talking about log kya kahenge log kya kahenge you should really not care about what the people are going to say you know and you should really sort of like hear what your, your what your heart wants to do and really become aware of where it is coming from and what's the purpose behind that and then just do it really do what you want to do you know and it's going to be tough but that's where healthy boundaries are going to start forming and once you start forming and once you start seeing this other people around you will start seeing this as well you know and that will sort of like really create a momentum i read this book it's an amazing amazing book highly recommended it. okay it's called uh, waking the tiger Okay, it's a trauma book by Peter Levine. Okay, and Peter Peter Levine is definitely like one of my idols for sure. You know, and he says that trauma is like a vortex, so it will keep happening again and again. So if you've been, so for example, if uh, if we are a culture of codependency, the trauma will create more codependence. You know, it will feed it into itself, and it will create more addiction, and it will create more disassociation, it will create more freezing. the only way to sort of like counter a vortex of trauma trauma is to create a vortex of healing a, a counter push a counter momentum force that really nullifies that vortex so imagine we need to sort of like create a culture of healthy boundaries self care awareness conscious awareness conversations do you know that there are no support groups that take place on a large scale in karachi no support groups you know so for example no yeah yeah imagine and when i went to lunch yeah like cuz i just i remember like just what was it like last year or that statistic came out that karachi was like the second highest consumer of cannabis per capita in the world after new york right and i'm yeah. like wait so we've got this and you know i'm not not saying it's a good thing or a bad thing or whatever but at the same time we don't have support groups to to handle that as well for people that may be struggling so for example support group for cancer patients support groups for anorexics support groups for depression support groups for anxiety support groups that for example that 
what happens when you freeze and you disassociate you're closer to death that's the that's the mindset you know so you're and so you're closer to isolation as well okay so what happens is that we come from a very isolated um, culture that our safety is only in our family and we cannot share what we have if we have a problem we cannot share it with anyone outside of our family okay that's one of the other drawbacks of a codependent culture because what that does is that i'm so that's why mental health is such a taboo here that's why sort of like going to a therapist is such a big deal here you cannot talk to your family and it's abroad as well but the degree is really out of whack you know the the amount of addiction that's available is insane as to compare to the amount of recovery that's available because it doesn't match yeah so um let's let's try to that that's honestly i'm i'm still trying to process yeah same, all of that same. i'm i'm yeah. all quiet because i'm like whoa um it's a, it's a here's the thing okay like for example i like i've been in trauma work for a very long time i've been sort of like you know wrapping my head around what's the what's the deal you know where is the core so i started off with addiction work i worked in a rehab for 2 years you know and and even with sort of like you know having experience with addiction myself i was like okay let me figure this out you know and i was like if i start with opening up a rehab it doesn't really because i realized that there's a huge link between addiction and trauma you know so for example there's a huge link between addiction and trauma in order to address the addiction you've got to work with the trauma okay and that was something that was highlighted when i went to london as well and i got my training from there as well So I was like okay let's do a trauma center you know let's do on a trauma center and I was like man if I do a trauma center and this is something that had said someone said to me you cannot write the name trauma on your on your center you know trauma release and wellness center you no know one is going to come people are going to run away from the you know from the door door because they're going to hear the word trauma and I was like that's the culture that got to change you know that is it is it life in recovery is beautiful you know life on the other side of trauma is amazing you know it is it is the most fulfilling life that is you're meant to live it you know and and it is it is really beautiful it is really sort of like um it's self exploratory takes courage removes fear it gives you healthy and mutually fulfilling relationships gives you self care gives you joy genuine joy you know and it, it, how can that be dull and dark you know yeah wow so um i want to ask so you, we've we've spoken a little bit about addiction here um and and i know one of the ones that um is has been popping up a lot recently over the last 2 3 years possibly um is, is social media addiction a thing any for example okay with addiction right it does not matter what the drug is it can be chemical or mm-hmm. chemical it's the disease okay so just the language about how we sort of like the addiction is very important addiction is a disease so for example take it like diabetes okay so type 2 diabetes so you born with a genetic predisposition okay and you don't know about it all right you live your life you're eating the sweets as much as you want okay and then what happens is that because you're consuming a certain amount and your body stops to make that insulin okay and then you need to maintain it you need an external sort of like injection you need medication you need to sort of like stop eating sweets and no matter what because that shift has taken place you cannot go back to eating sweets 
okay so it doesn't matter if you eat a gulab jamun or you eat a rasmalai or you eat any kind of sweet your body is you you cannot do it it will kill you it's literally like that addiction needs to be start seen as a disease okay so what happens is addicts is that for example you can uh, so again it, it comes from a place of wanting this no one starts off with heroin okay people start off with cigarettes or people start off technically with uh, food a non chemical ones food television masturbation those are the things people would start off with sex porn all of those things okay and then they would go into um, drugs so they would start off with cigarettes they would start off with weed and for some those things work but for others the feelings come back and they're like i'm not disassociated enough i need to have a new experience which is more fun kipples will pop in nowadays pharmacies have become such a pharmaceutical drugs uh, tramadol uh, ritalin uh, xanax uh, clorazepam dorazepam all those benzodiazepines you know these things have become, these things will become a lot more prevalent now your phone as well you know your phone your sc- ultimate indef- indefinite scrolling for because if i am in that state of scrolling and living vicariously and just getting that hit or a joy when i hear or see that meme i am not sort of like um, uh, naturally creating those chemicals in my brain i have to have a stimulation that creates the chemicals of dopamine and oxytocin okay so what happens is that when my brain starts to artificially create chemicals natural sort of like progression of the chemicals go away okay so that's why you start feeling depressed as soon as you take away your phone so if you if you start like you start feeling bored you start feeling lazy and that's with the phone and that's withdrawals and that's true from phone that's true for a relationship that's true for anything it could be anything anything that can help you survive you can get addicted to i know <laughs> i had no idea about these things at all just you know wow thanks on <laughs> <laughs> This is like my nervous laughter like whoa. <laughs> like for example like I think it is really important I I do get for example this is a lot of information for a lot of people. You know I've been I've been like added for the last 8 years and even my progression has been like you know I was like when I when when these realizations come they come really hard. You know because I start to see them in my own life and I start to realize ki yaar how is that been impacting my life? and what and, and what happens is that after a certain point they will sink in you know wo pehla initial ek shock hota hai uske baad wo halka halka wo realization aane lagti hai wo body sink in karne lagti hai us cheez ko and that's when the magic starts to take place because now once you've seen something you cannot unsee it anymore you know and and that is where the true sort of like magic of awareness comes in because that's the first step to any kind of change you know and and when i was sort of i created my i i started the center up in january so it's only been a few sort of like months to do so you know and uh, in that time i've done a trd sort of like certification here in pakistan i've really sort of like gotten um i've really been really blessed to to have that kind of energy that surrounds the center what's tra on for all of us okay so you know how i mentioned before that that the future of trauma work is non-verbal okay so yeah. it's great you, you get all of this awareness about how your body works fight that disease and all of that that's great but everyone's got their own sort of like 
history of trauma, something that has happened in their life. Okay, so your body knows that. Okay, your body has lived through that. Okay, there's a certain muscle in your body called the psoas muscle. Okay, it is connected from your hip to the lower three vertebrates of your spine. Okay, and what happens is that David Brocelli, who was the founder of the uh, uh, of trauma release exercise. He was a missionary, and when he what he did was that when he had gone to uh, war-torn countries such as Syria, he found that when he was stuck in a bunker and the bombings were taking place, the kids were trembling, and the adults were stiff. Okay, and mm. what he realized was that when the bombing had ended, the kids, because they had tremored, they were able to go out and play and be a lot more okay as compared to the adults. The adults really look like you know, in, you know, when you have zombie eyes, that you've gone through hell. Yeah. You know, they look like yeah. that they had zombie eyes. And what David Brocelli did was that he asked them, "How come you did not? So what happened to you? And uh, how come you are? weren't you guys scared?" And what the adults had said was that we had to show strength for the kids. You know, we had to show that we were in control of the situation so the kids could feel safe. Okay, and when he started doing further research, he recognized that there's a universal tremor mechanism that takes place in our body, and that takes place specifically after a certain trauma that has taken place. And what we've done over time and growing up is that we sort of like really programmed ourselves to stop doing that. So remember when you were shaking when you were young and your parents were like, "Don't do it." Hmm. That. Okay, so that starts, and what what David Brocelli did was he created this series of exercises that activates the psoas muscle in our body, and it induces the tremor. See, and when the tremor is induced, so all the stress or fear or panic or trauma that is in the body that gets released. And I'm telling you, when you see, like, here's the thing with any kind of body work, right? You can say it. Yeah, but it's gonna have a. Uh, you can't. Exp- it, it, you cannot share that experience, you know. Because when I started, I started doing trauma uh, TRE for myself in November, and it has completely changed my life. Okay, my level of grounding, my level of awareness, my ability to move away from my fight, flight, and freeze, and go physiologically go into grounding, without having to happen to telling a story about what it is, how it happened, what had happened to me. None of that. None of that. Just by trembling, activating my natural body tremor mechanism, I was able to ground myself like I've never done before. I feel that I have a lot of breathing. I have a lot more relaxed. I have a lot more space to handle stress. You know, and that is something which has really been transformational. And I was like, how the hell is this some this training not available or not universally available? You know, and this has just happened. Um, this was just sort of like released. This training was introduced 25 years ago, and in the last five to ten years is when it's really become global. You know, and and the trainers that I trained with uh, from Thailand, they were more than willing to sort of like come into Karachi, you know, and do the, their first PRE training here. It's been amazing. So on. Yeah. So can you explain a little bit about trauma itself? You know, does it because the misconception is that trauma needs to be something really big and drastic so and and people think that maybe they don't they only need to get help for it if it if it is to that degree or intensity so what are your thoughts 
or I your think, opinion? So, for example, one of the main sort of like understandings about trauma is that trauma is not the event, right? Trauma is the impact that it leaves on your body after the event. Okay, so trauma is not about what memory you have. So, for example, if it's uh, if someone is getting raised in a traumatic household, okay, two siblings, all right. Both of those two siblings will have two different memories about how traumatic that household was. For example, okay, their body will will hold on to that trauma in a very different manner. Okay, so for someone, well, so one of the siblings, he would sort of like he would have not been uh, forced into that survival. Like he would have, but it would have been sort of like dealt with, um, and he would have been able to, or she would have been able to move on. You know. Do whatever they needed to do. Okay, the other one, they held on to the trauma. Okay, and in their body, they started having symptoms of anxiety, sleeplessness, um, uh, stress, depression. So all of those things get started to hold on, and that's what I want the people to know. Trauma is not the event. Trauma is in the body. All right, and that is why it is so. And and then our mind gives us those uh, narrations that help. Let's figure things out. So, for example, oh, I'm anxious because of this, or I'm anxious because of that. But deep down inside, the real reason why the anxiety is there is because the body is still holding on to those earlier sort of like traumatic events that have that have happened. You know, so that's a very important understanding. So the event does not matter. How your body processes trauma, that's what that is what defines the level of trauma that you have. Wow, and so anyone can at this stage have trauma. <laughs> anyone, I'm telling you, you know, I have never seen anyone go through life without trauma. It is a, it is not just that it is inevitable; it is a learning process also. You know, it is like, for example, it is how you language it. You know, again NLP. You know, but it is how you see it. Like, for example, before in my life, I used to think that those things, the things that had happened in my past. Were my curse, you know? It was a burden. I had to carry it. I was I was diagnosed with dyslexia. Dyslexia was my biggest sort of like um, trouble to accept. It, it was very traumatic. I had to be given extra time. I had to be given, uh, you know, it is a feeling when you come out 45 minutes later after your O levels. Okay, seemingly physically there's nothing wrong with you, and then everyone looks at you and be like, what happened to you? You know why were you given forty-five minutes extra? Why were you given a computer to write on? You know, oh. and when when I was getting my and that was a very traumatic memory. You know, it was a hugely traumatic memory. It really shaped the way I saw myself when it came to reading, and especially when I had to do my my work, my uh, my uh, coursework, and all of that. Reading really heavy books were such an important thing, but I had to procrastinate. You know, I would go into disassociation. I would go into flight just to avoid that. Then what I realized was that what dyslexia actually gave me was a lot of sort of like insight out of how, how to think outside the box. So I started reading books on dyslexia. You know, there's great books out there, gifts of gifts of dyslexia. There's so much happening nowadays in regards to research that is available online, which wasn't there when I was doing my O levels. But so now my relationship with My dyslexia is very good. I've sort of like worked on that. I I read now. I enjoy reading now. 
you know and i don't see it creating me so it does not give me anxiety anymore when i open a book you know i i feel like it's absolutely fine so these things this is how things in your past help you grow forward trauma is not um uh, trauma is a very sort of like um significant event that has taken place but the meaning that you give it will shape how you are going to move forward with it okay and wow. it really yeah and it's very important sort of like i really important to sort of like get that you know right and we were discussing this as well on a little bit i um on addiction um i mean we've established earlier the link with trauma and addiction right in your in our conversation now you mentioned about addiction you said that it's going to change its form right and you said that video games are and what was the other thing you mentioned video games and pharmaceuticals yes right are the new types of addictions and that people won't be able to it's going to be hard to recognize them or So for example when i was in my sort of like university right you had the you had the batch you know you had the people who were on heroin who were on meth who were doing acid you know you who were partying who were drinking alcohol and and, and in university time all of that is fine but you could tell those people who would do a little more you know who would, who would not stop who would have that um, i would I, i use the word hook you know they have that hunger in them to numb or go to a certain sort of like they have that emptiness or that hunger inside that they want to sort of like get rid of you know and and i realized that and i was like okay so when that what happens is that the, in the future kids are starting off young okay they don't there's no way the people are starting off in their universities to drug exploration they're starting off now when they're 12 they're starting off now when they're 13 so yeah and the things which are available to them are alcohol pharmaceuticals video games all of those things Okay, so they're gonna get hooked on these things now. Okay, and they're gonna and and that's what's happening in my work. I'm seeing this. They're getting hooked sooner. Okay, and uh, again, I'm gonna bring it back to our codependent culture. All right, because our our dynamic of codependency causes us to enable them. All right, and okay, so when you're 12 and 13, you're not making money on your own. Okay. but because the natural cultural norm is that you have to have your friends and you have to hang out with a certain social crowd or you have to hang out with these kind of people in order to be successful in order to have that sort of like um one up all right that mm-hmm. you're going to, you you're going to sort of like you know dabble in these things okay and for that you need money and what the kids would do is that they would get the money all right but rather than going and hanging out with them they'll be like or they even while hanging out with them they'll be like okay let's pop some pills let's take some Xanax let's take some Ritalin let's take some pharmaceuticals you know let's see what's available wow <laughs> that's insane it is it is it is i i think if we could if we could just uh, like create a counter culture of self self care or you know create a counter culture where codependency is at least known about you know it it will make a world of a difference it will make such a huge difference because an addict cannot survive without an enabler you know right. that is that is once the enabling finishes because what happens abroad you're already out of the house when you're 18 so yeah so your hit bottom from the addiction happens really quickly because you can't go back to your house you can but the family is like no no you got yourself under stress you will get yourself out you go through these government channels to go to rehabs and all of that and you get really well really and you 
you, your hit bottoms happen really quickly. Okay. And your ability to get into recovery happens also. You go to the family and the family does not stop you. I will take care of him. I will pay. I will make sure this will happen. You know, and the person that's saying all of these things is genuinely coming from a place of care. You know, they're genuinely coming from a place of um, love. Have you seen the movie Cake? Yeah, I have. Yeah. Okay. I have not. Okay. It's not, it's a, <laughs> but yeah. It's an epic movie, yeah? All right. And in that movie, there says, Andha pyar sacha pyar. Yeah. yeah. And I love that. Codependency is Andha pyar. Oh my God. <laughs> and self care is sacha pyar. Oh you know, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, that's such an epic example of this, you know. It's like, if people need to have sacha pyar for their loved ones, for themselves, rather than andha pyar. You know, that's the that's the way to go for it, for sure. You know, and if we create that culture, I think it will change, change Pakistan for sure. And it's happening. It is happening for sure. Okay. All right. <laughs> so let's... Um, We've spent a lot of ta- time talking about like uh, the different treatments and cultures and stuff, but um, we're in a very interesting place right now as well. That's affecting our mental wellness. We've got the the COVID nineteen thing going on. I know you. Uh, we've referenced some of the videos that you've been making, um, trying to help people out with that. At the same time, you you've covered some of the same topics that um, we some of the same topics. Um, that we just talked about in relation to that as well. Maybe we could talk about COVID a little bit. How yeah. to cope maybe or deal or yeah. things, you know, things to to understand and get help. Contact you on. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and just the fact, also, for example, COVID is not going to create a new pattern of anxiety for us. Okay, so for example, it's just going to make it highlighted even more. Right. So, for example, if someone has lived 30 years of their life, they're not going to be experiencing anxiety for the first time. So their body already knows the map that it has to take. Okay. So, for example, if someone has a uh, fight response, they will in even during COVID while staying at home, they will be in that fight state. You know, so if someone, right. has, a, yeah, if someone has a flight response, they while in COVID, they will already be in that flight response, which would be about which would be about taking care of uh, avoiding situations, procrastinating, all of that stuff, you know? And if someone has a freeze response, they would be completely disassociated while in COVID as well, okay? And, when, and I feel that COVID has, what, has, what it has given us, it has given us a really great opportunity for us to really reflect on who we are on the inside. There's nowhere else to go. There's literally nowhere else to go. That's very interesting because what's it called? Uh, no, uh, I was listening to a podcast where are you familiar with Jack Cornfield? I've heard of that name for sure. Yeah, I haven't yeah, he's 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 a he's a meditation expert. He's also a clinical psychologist, and um, he he was uh, he was talking about that, and he's like, if nothing else, uh, something similar, I suppose. And he said, if nothing else, we should use this time to remember who we really are. Yeah, and I love how he said remember. You know, because we already know after before we were sort of like um, um, influenced by culture and before we were influenced by um, things that had happened to us while we were growing up, 
there is a genuineness that we were born with and a lot of mindfulness instructors a lot of teachers a lot, and i firmly believe this as well you know that there is a genuine truth that we are innately born with and all the reflections are about how to get to that insight you know and the more work that someone does on themselves whether it's releasing the trauma from their body whether it's learning how to language their mind whether it's anything any kind of it allows us to know ourselves better and really remember who we were that we were valuable that we were vulnerable that we were imperfect we were spontaneous you know and that we were dependent you know so all of these things that we were born with and i really like i really love what you said man i think it's pretty cool Yeah. <laughs> so so on um is there anything else that you'd you'd like to add here rabia are there any other questions you have for on I at this stage i could go on by the way talking to on <laughs> but i think yeah. that i'll shut up and um you know i think that i'll just let him continue with any final messages he wants to leave us with Yeah, I, yeah, is there is there anything you'd like to say like, you know, maybe some final thoughts, something for people to just think about or maybe some advice that you could offer for our audience or anything in general that you just want to add at this point? Yeah, like for example, um one thing's for sure, it's like um one of my teachers she said this. Okay, so for example, our conscious mind, right, is a goal setter. Okay, and our unconscious mind is a goal getter. Okay? And if we in our mind even as a culture if we consciously said this mind that trauma is hard trauma is difficult and you know um, it's it's not easy getting to heal becoming healers or healing ourselves our unconscious unconscious mind is going to get that i would really like them to become aware of you know um, how this phrase recovery okay recovery is possible okay it is amazing so yeah coming into recovery and coming on the other side of trauma it is the best gift that you can give in your to yourself you know and it's going to take years for you to actually um, get to that point or go, even go through that journey and it's always going to get better always going i've been in this journey for the last 8 years and i'm telling you every day is worth it you know because every day that i live in recovery i'm like awesome you know i'm not living in denial i'm not living in fear i'm not living in flight i'm not living in fight i'm not living in freeze i'm living so that means experiencing sometimes sadness happiness joy from a very genuine level you know and i'm 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 really glad that you guys are doing this i'm telling you guys what the message that you guys are throwing out there will create that culture you know culture of awareness consciousness and it's going to be great man thank you dude we really appreciate that um we hope we hope we're 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 make we're creating some positive change here as well but you know um on the flip side you know thank you for everything you've done thank you for everything that you do and thank you for coming on um coming on to our show to talk to us today man no worries hopefully we'll schedule a what's it called a trip down to your place check it out yeah. soon you know after covid for sure i'm looking forward to yeah you get out of the house once in a while for something other than groceries yeah 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 it's going to be amazing man i'm hoping After COVID, the shift that's going to happen, it's it's going to be really good to see what comes out of it, you know. 
So um, where can where can people find out more about the Trauma Release and Wellness Center? Um, and where can they find out more about you? So we're, we're located in Clifton. Okay, so uh, on all all social media handles, uh, we are TRW Center. You just type in that and, and it'll come on our Instagram, our Facebook, our, um, our, our LinkedIn, YouTube. We've got that everywhere. You know, so all of that is there. I, I would highly recommend do come check us out because the work that we're doing here is about creating that healing process, you know, from a non-verbal perspective. So really looking forward to all of that. On also, are you conducting online sessions for people that might be interested? They can contact you? Yeah, so I am conducting online therapy at the moment and soon I'll be conducting online TRE sessions and online coaching sessions as well. Wow. Okay. Keep us in the loop. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Definitely will do. All right, guys. Um, that's it for today. The Localist Podcast is produced in Karachi, Pakistan by Rabia and Mo. You can email us at thelocalistpk at gmail.com or find us as the Localist PK on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, we're also on LinkedIn. Just look for The Localist. Um, if you're enjoying the podcast, please tell your friends about it. And if you are able to leave us a rating and review, please do. And remember, uh, don't be a dick and stay at home if you possibly can and stop the spread. We're all in this together. Thanks, guys. Mm-hmm.